morning, everybody. Uh, this is a good special day for everybody today. You know, it's October th uh, 31st today. Uh, well, it will be October tomorrow. tomorrow. Yeah, I, you know, but on that day, there was very something that really happened that day. And sadly, a lot of people in most of your churches, they're not going to remember it, sadly. They should, but, you know, it's going to be Harvest Fest, Halloween. You know, churches is Harvest Fest, but most churches and people are going to focus more on Halloween or whatever on that day. But on that day was really on the Christian calendar was actually a special day. It was the day of the Reformation, October 31st, uh, 1575, was when Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses on the, ch uh, the church door, uh, a church castle door on the Wittenberg in Germany, where he was protesting against the indulgence and other abuses that the church was doing at the time. But before we get into all that, I'm kind of, I want to lay the groundwork why it's important and what it was all about. One, uh, the word Protestant, what does it mean? Of course, I don't know if y'all noticed, you are coming to a Protestant church, by the way. So <laughs> he's like, <gasps> yeah, if you never noticed, yeah. But the word Protestant actually means protest. You know, somebody was actually shocked the other day. Of course, they're doing it the wrong way. But the liberals and them were protesting. And one Christian was shocked when I told him that. I said, did you know that was birthed out of Christianity? So what you mean is that they're protesting. Of course, they're not protesting the right reasons. They're protesting for gay rights and anything that's not biblical. But I said Christian, Christianity was birthed out of protests. So they're really taking something that's Christian and they're, you know, like anything else the devil does, he takes what God does and he perverts it. So there's nothing shocking to me when you study all that stuff. But anyway, so I said that came from Protestantism. That came from Christians from the Catholic Church that was protesting against some, some abuses that was going on in the church. These are like, oh, I never thought of it like that. Or I never knew that. So it's amazing, how, it's amazing how we don't know our history or we don't go back to a lot of things. But it means protest. And it's not just protesting against the Catholic Church. As a Christian, you're supposed to be protesting against anything or any denomination or any religion or any organization that goes against the Word of God. So it's not just the Catholic, the Catholic Church, per se, but it's other things we should be protesting against. You know, gay rights and all that other stuff that's going on, we should be protesting against that as well. So you're protesting against a lot of things if you're a Protestant and you're a Christian as well. So that's what the word means. If you're interested to know, it means protest. Uh, Reformation, what it was, a lot, they were, it was Catholics that were in the Catholic Church they studied the Bible, they, 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 they did their research, and they said, you know, we love the church, and we have no desire to leave the church or destroy the church. We, just, we believe that there's some cleaning up. There's some things that our church is doing that we don't agree with, and we want to see a reformation, or we want to see a Puritan cleaning, kind of speaking. It's kind of like what happened with the... Uh, the Puritans and the Separatists. Uh, you see, there was a group of Christians called the Puritans. They wanted to purify the Church of England. So they were kind of like the Reformers. They're like, hey, we like the Church of England. We were raised there. We, we, you know, we have no desire to leave or make another denomination. We just want to stay in the church. We just feel like there's some things that's unscriptural. And, of course, the king at that time didn't think, you know, there's no, there's, no, there's no purifying. I think the church is okay the way I set it up. So they left, and they became the separatists. And they said, well, 
heck on the king. We're just going to form our own church, you know. <laughs> so that's what kind of happened in the Reformation a little bit. They were like the Puritans. They're like, hey, we're going to purify the church. And the Pope, like the king at the time, says, ah, I don't think there's no purifying. I think the church is okay like it is. So, and they split and Protestantism was born. So that's the history of where Protestantism came about. Because there's a bunch of Protestant denominations. I mean, there's a lot. There's your Methodists, there's Presbyterians, there's like us, full gospel and non-denominational. There's so many of them. But most of them, not all of them, but 90 or 80% of them, even we have some little doctrinal differences on some areas. One thing that most of us do believe and is in the center is that that we believe in justification by faith and we believe the Bible is the final authority. So that's one thing that most of us do agree on when it comes to that area. And that's all I want to talk about before I get into the history of Martin Luther and his life and all that. Um, two things about the Reformation you got to remember that's the foundation of it. One, the Bible. They believed that the Bible was the final authority. It was the final say-so. Because even today, back then, and even today, I have the catechism, they still teach that, that they say, well, there's actually two revelations. There's the Bible, and then there's Catholic tradition. And matter of fact, we actually, we talked to Roman Catholics already, and a lot of them told us that. I don't remember daddy remembers, but they would come to the shop when we had, we, we used to run the shop at Johnson, and there was a couple of Catholics that would tell us, it's not just the Bible, there's also our tradition, and it's in the catechism. They do, what, pretty much what they're telling you is the Bible was written by men, but they don't realize the Holy Spirit came upon those men and they wrote it. Because of that, that's what makes the Bible perfect. It's not really the men who wrote it, per se. It's when the Holy Spirit came upon them and breathed on them and they wrote it with the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit and God and Jesus is really the author. The Trinity is really the author of the book. The man was just the instrument. So they just wrote down what the, the Trinity told them. The Holy Spirit, the Father, and Christ told them to write. But the Catholic Church, in, in a bad way, they say, oh yeah, but it still goes on today. The revelation is still continuing. It did not stop at uh, revelations. You know, because we believe, if you're a Bible-believing person, you believe from Genesis to Revelations. That was it. The Bible was written. There's no more that needs to be written. It's done. Too fini. It's done. You know, <laughs> no more revelation, no more breed inspired word of God. It's done. And the book of Revelations, that's it. But according to the Catholic Church, they teach, nope, it's not over yet. We're still getting scripture revelation today. It's still going on. And the Bible don't teach that. So that's one of the things that the Reformation was letting people know at that time is the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is the Bible that's authority, not men. And even the Pope has to be submitted to the Bible. Not that he can override the Bible. He has to be underneath the Bible as well. These priests and nuns and, and the Catholic Church. So that's what one of their spoken the will, I guess you can say, one of the, one of the arguments on the Reformation was that the scripture is a final authority. It's not, there's not two divine authorities. There's not, like in Mormonism, for example, they teach, well, there's the Bible, but there's also the Book of Mormon. And all, all cults do that. They're like, there's the Bible, but we also have our other revelation. We have our other books. So all false religions do that. And the Bible and the Reformation, they were like, no, it's just the Bible that is authority for everything. You know, if the Pope, like that argument still goes on today. Like, for example, the gay lifestyle is not great. I heard the, the Pope 
the Pope we have now, he's saying it's okay to be a gay, but the Bible says it's wrong. Who do we believe? You know, if God speaks to him, that's like he spoke to Peter and Paul, you, you're not going to congregate. You're not going to congregate the Bible. The Holy Spirit will not contradict itself. The Holy Spirit won't tell Apostle Paul and Peter to write something. And then years later, he'll tell the Pope, hey, I changed my mind. That's not going to work. So that's what the battle was going on in the, during the time of the Reformation, that the, the reformers were like, no, because the Pope can be wrong or these bishops. Matter of fact, when Martin Luther, when they were interrogating them, he says, I ain't going to put my faith in y'all because one Pope contradicts another Pope. When one Pope dies, he says something, and then when the other Pope comes around, the Pope changes his mind. <laughs> so he says, I can't, y'all fight amongst each other, y'all can't agree on each other, y'all going on man's philosophy and not based on the word of God. So that's what the argument was pretty much at this time was in the Reformation. And number two is justification by faith. Other words, the sanctification process of, of, of what Christ did on the cross was enough for our salvation. See, they were adding other salvations. It's like they were adding on to the word of God. They were uh, adding other uh, atonements. They were adding other payments for sin. Like, for example, uh, there's a group, uh, the word of faith people teach it, and I think there's another group that they taught. I'm going to use this as an example with the Catholic Church kind of did now and then at that time. They said, well, when Jesus died, he, the full payment, the full atonement was not really fully atoned for. So he had to go to Hades or hell, and he had to be beaten up by demons, and that's when the second atonement came for man's sin. It, it, didn't, really, it didn't really accomplish it at the cross 100%. He had to go do a, the other part of it in Hades. And so that's not, that means the cross of Christ was insufficient if that was the case. So the Catholic Church was kind of similar, still is, and at the time was doing, they're like, yeah, Jesus died on the cross, but you got to have the sacraments to be saved. You better make sure you be at the Lord's Supper because you commit a, a mortal sin. You're going to go to hell if you don't do the sacraments or you don't wear a scapular. They still believe it today. Or you don't follow any of the church rules. You know, you're going to go to sin. You're going to mortal hell. You know, commit a mortal sin. You go straight to hell, you know, if you don't follow our rules. So they were adding to the sanctification process. They were saying that what Christ did on the cross was not enough. I was hearing one of the videos, documentaries. I think it's called, uh, uh, what it was called, uh, Roman Catholicism in Crisis. There was an ex-Catholic priest that got saved, and he made a good point. He was talking about purgatory. He said that if purgatory was true, he said what that means was Christ's death was not sufficient. That means what Christ did was totally in vain. Or he didn't do, he didn't do partial of the, uh, the atonement. So that's where it joined with Martin Luther and these other reformers were getting at. They're like, if we had to do indulgences or if we had to wear uh, scapulars, you know, a scapular is in the Catholic Church is when you wear a scapular and the church does you know, we, you know, a special prayer. If you die, you go straight to heaven. Or Mary will go down to hell and, or purgatory and bring you straight to heaven. Well, if that's the case, then what's the point of Christ dying on the cross? His death was not sufficient. So, if you, so remember when we talk about the Reformation or we talk about the Catholic Church or any false religion, remember those two, were, those two things. The Bible, where they stand on the Bible, and do they believe that Christ's atonement is totally paid for? You know, in Greek, 
I don't know much Greek. I know a little bit here and there. But one of the, the Greek words is uh, for telestai. It means paid in full in Greek. So that means Christ paid for everything. So he's done. He paid everything. The death has been paid. There's no need for more atonement or more payment for sin. So that's what the Catholic Church was doing at this time. And still is. They're still adding to the grace of God. They're still adding to the cross. And the reformers were like, no, Christ's death and his sufficient work was done. We don't have to do any more atonement, you know. But that's what they were doing. Of course, most people didn't know the Bible at the time, so they went along with the Catholic Church told them. So I kind of want to lay that as a foundation a little bit to kind of understand what happened in the Reformation and what was the argument about it. It was mostly for those two reasons. So I'm going to talk about a little bit about Martin Luther, uh, what happened to him, his conversion. And before I talk about him, there was many other groups of protesters before Martin Luther. It was just he's the one that's mostly recognized, and I'm explain why for two reasons, why he's the most recognized one out of all of them. Or when people think of the Reformation, they think of Martin Luther right away. It's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like the hymns. You know, when you think of uh, the hymns, the first thing you think is Amazing Grace. Of course, there's a bunch of other hymns, but that's the one that stands, that song stands out above all of them. So it just, that's how it is. But he's one of them that, that really opened the door. There was John Wycliffe, there was John Huss, and there was another group of Christians called the Waldensians. They actually... They weren't called Protestants, but they were protesting, and they did believe similar, or they believed what the Reformers believed. The authority of the Word of God and the cross was enough for your salvation. So they believed similar. So they were, what I'm saying is there were other groups of protesters or other groups of Christians, you know, that was always protesting against the Catholic Church and other false groups and stuff. So you always, God always had his remnant. God always had groups of pockets of resistance, I guess you can say, Bible-believing Christians that believed in the Word of God before Luther. So in other words, these groups were like a stepping stone for Martin Luther. They were, God was preparing these people to get Martin Luther prepared for the big day that came. So God used them even if they didn't know it or not. So we're going to talk about Martin Luther. No, not Martin Luther King, Martin Luther. So they're kind of similar, but it's Martin Luther. What happened was he was born in Germany, he was baptized, he was raised in a heavily Catholic family. His mom and daddy were strict. Some of y'all thought y'all had strict parents. You were one of Martin Luther's parents. They were strict. And Martin Luther actually ran home one time. He, his parents were so mean to him, he said he ran home. His daddy had to kind of convince him to come home, so he, 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 ran, he ran away. He packed up his bags and ran away. He said, man, these people are too hard. So he ran away until his dad got him back home. So that's what they say. But anyway, his daddy was a, a smith. Other words, he would do, he would do like, he would make smith work. And, and they actually prayed to St. Anne, who was a saint of smiths, you know, and, and stuff like that. And his daddy, his daddy had it all planned out for him. You know, his dad said, you're going to be a lawyer, son. And, you know, it's kind of like, you ever watch that old series, Green Acres, where the boy wanted to be a farmer, and his daddy's like, you're going to be a lawyer. And they were fighting which one wanted to be one. Finally, he did what his dad wanted, like on Green Acres. He went to be a farmer. But in his heart, he, uh, a lawyer, but in his heart, he was still a farmer. He had his jar. He, he pulled out his uh, drawers, and he had, you know, uh, vegetables growing out of his uh, drawer and everything because he wanted to be a farmer. He really, in his heart, he wanted to be a farmer. Well, that's kind of similar to happened to Martin Luther. He's like, he went to be what his dad wanted him to be. He said, you're going to be a lawyer. 
So he was gone. He was being a lawyer and stuff. But the divine providence of God had a different plan for Martin Luther. What happened was at that time, the Black Plague struck Europe. There's different interpretations of what happened in the Black, uh, the Black Plague. Some say it was rats that came from Asia or something, whatever. But anyway, a lot of people were dying from this Black Plague. Matter of fact, I think it was Martin Luther. He actually lost two of his best friends to the plague. So this began the seed of him starting to think, wow, am I right with God? What if happened if the plague would have struck me? What, what, would I have been in heaven or would I have been in hell? So that seed was planted in Martin Luther to make him start realizing. He didn't know the Bible much at the time or he was like most Catholics at the time. And still today, most of them don't read their Bible. Until they read the Bible, that's when they leave. But, but he didn't know much of the Bible at the time. He knew Catholic tradition. He didn't know much about the Bible at the time. So he was going back home, and they say that lightning struck. There was a bad weather that hit his area, and lightning struck, and he got feared. And he prayed to St. Anne. That was the saint for minors. And he prayed to St. Anne, and he says, If you spare me, you know, I will come a monk. And so he kept his vow. Boy, can you imagine when he got home to his dad? I mean, his dad was all, son, you're going to be a lawyer. How school is going today? Well, dad, uh, I, got some, I got some bad news. He says, I'm not going to be a lawyer. He said, I'm going to a monastery. Oh, Lord. <laughs> I mean, he was probably, I mean, they say he was trying to convince him, like, son, what are you doing? You're crazy. Where I go wrong? You know, kind of like your parents do sometimes with your children. Where I go wrong? You know? <laughs> well, that's what happened to him. So he, he, <laughs> he said, boy, you don't know what you're thinking, boy. What's the matter with you? All the years I worked and sweat, I wanted you to be a lawyer. He said, well, I must keep my promise to St. Anne. So he went to the monastery. You know, he kind of reminds me of that joke that Burmite used to say about they had a monk. He went to the monastery and, uh, and uh, every time they will question him, he says, uh, how's everything? Food bad, bed hard. Last time he says, I quit. And the man says, huh, that's all you did was complain anyway. So this, you just leave the monastery. So, so that kind of happened to Martin Luther. You know, he's in there. I mean, it was you in the monastery. I mean, all you got is the clothes on your back. I'm pretty much in a few little foods. And the food wasn't that great. You, you might have a cheese once a week, maybe a loaf of bread. And it would have to be hard and green, you know. <laughs> I mean, they, when you were in there, it was called multi, multi uh, how, what's that word? Uh, you had to mortify the flesh. In other words, when you were in there, you had to earn your salvation and you had to, it had to be rough as possible. I mean, the floors, sometimes you had to sleep on the floor sometimes. Matter of fact, the harder it was, the more you were secure of getting salvation. So it was rough living in there. You know, Cajun couldn't live in there. Oh, no, we like to eat too much and talk too much, so... And you had to be quiet in there, and you couldn't hardly eat, and we would never make it. Uh-uh. So anyway, so the, but the harder it was, the better it was. The more you suffered, the better your, you, get, you got more closer to salvation if you suffered. Matter of fact, uh, Martin Luther uh, said that he would actually whip himself. It was called a flagellation, they would call that. Matter of fact, uh, in the 70s, they claim that some nuns would still do that. They would take some whips. Like in South America, they still do that today. If you look at in South America for their festivals and stuff, they will have like, when they have a, 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 they will have a parade of a, a big giant cross, and they will actually whip themselves. They will actually 
they have, they have no shirt on and they will actually whip themselves because they're trying to imitate the sufferings of Christ. And it's part of their penance. The more you suffer, the more you're gaining righteousness. So Martin Luther was doing that. He was whipping himself. He, he, he went to sleep out in the snow. They said he almost died. They said his fellow monks had to actually drag him out of the snow because he almost came this close of dying. And he actually complained about his health years later. He said that uh, a lot of his health problems was because he was trying to achieve salvation. He was trying to do penance. You know, he was trying to make up for the wrongs he had done. And uh, he was real sincere. He was kind of like, you know, he was kind of like Apostle Paul said about the Jews. They said they're sincere, but not going after God's righteousness. You know, he was sincere, but he didn't have God's right standing of righteousness. He was trying to earn his penance. He was trying to make up for the wrongs he'd done. Matter of fact, I was watching uh, not too long ago. I was watching, they had a, uh, uh, I think it was a Catholic course I was watching on. It was about a certain author I heard that he was a Catholic writer. So I was doing some research on him. And the guy who was doing the interview, he said a penance, and he pretty much said it himself, said, penance is making up for the wrongs you have done. So every time you did something wrong, you have to ask the priest for, some of y'all probably remember that. Some of y'all were raised Catholic, and you had to go to the Catholic priest and, Father, I've sinned or whatever. Okay, say five Hail Marys or whatever. You know, you're making up for the wrongs you have done. So that's what he was doing. And his heart was fully into it. And it got, it got to the point where his heart was right. He was just doing the wrong way. He feared God so much. Any little thing he done, he wanted to go to the confession box. Matter of fact, the priests and the nuns were actually, uh, priests and the monks, they were actually getting tired of him. Because every week he would confess, every month, every five seconds he would confess. I mean, he, he kept the, the priest busy. And in uh, one part, they had one priest that actually got mad at him. He went confess. He said, Father, I sinned. And he says, he got mad. He says, listen, when you really commit a sin, come in here. <laughs> he said, man, any little thing you do, you, you come for any little thing. You hit your toe, you, you think you sinned or something. So he got upset. So the monks were running away. I heard one story. They said they run away from him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they, oh, they, they, they were getting tired of him. I mean, he was really, and then on top of that, he was already struggling. If I'm saved or what? Then he looked around them, the monastery he was in. He noticed they were doing crooked stuff. They had a, they had a, they were making money and they were doing things. They had even a, they were selling even beer, and they, 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 they made a lot of their income on selling beer in these monasteries. So he, he kind of noticed there was a lot of crooked stuff that was going on. So that didn't help. He was already struggling with his salvation. He, start, he saw his church, you know, selling and doing things like tithes. You know, you know, you know, how, you know how you come today and you have a, uh, how can I say this? You, you, you have a choice to pay tithes or not. Back then, you had no choice. When the, when the priest went knock on your door, you better pay tithes or they bring you to court. I'm serious. I'm serious. Not a bad idea, I know. <laughs> yeah, for real. They did not plead like, hey, please, can you pay your tithes today? They're like, if you don't pay tithes, you're going to court. So, so, and then, of course, back then, they trained these people like, oh, wow, if we got to pay money to the church. If we don't have the church, we can't go to heaven without the church. So they, in some ways, they, they gave it, you know, because they realized, you know, in their medieval mind, they were like, man, without the church, we, we cut away from God if we don't have the church, and we can't have a chance of going to heaven if we don't give money to keep the church open. So, yeah, there was a lot of crooked stuff that went on, on back then, mostly in those monasteries. And he noticed that, but he ignored that. 
because he was trying to earn his salvation. He was just focusing on himself and trying to earn salvation. But it got to the point, the monks were getting tired of him. They're like, man, he, he's, he's oppressing all of us. This guy, he's, a, he's very depressive. He's moaning, groaning all the time. He confesses all the time. He's just, he, he's just aggravating, man. We got to get rid of this. We got to do something. So they came out with plan A and plan B. They said, well, we're going to do a, plan A. We're going to send him away. We're going to send him to Rome. And maybe he goes to Rome and sees the holy city. Maybe he'll, he'll be a stronger Christian. You know, he'll be more uh, pumped in his faith. You know, he'll be more, you know, he won't be as down. You know, it would help if we sent him to Rome. So they did. They sent him to Rome on a pilgrimage. But it did, plan A didn't work. Because when he got there, he looked at all the stuff that was going on. Priests were sleeping with whores, and, 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 and the witchcraft was all over the city. They were doing exodus all over and on people. And, and they had one people, they were selling things. And uh, one guy says, out of 18 or 12 apostles are buried in Spain. Wait a minute, I thought it was 12 apostles, but this guy said it was 18. Things like that was going on. And, and then he... And he was trying to preach a sermon. They were like, oh, hurry up and rush with it, man. We got money to make. You know, the priests were there like, hey, hurry, hurry up and sit, preach what you got to preach and get out of here. You know, we, we got a bunch of people in here. They're in line. We got to make our money. It was all about money and kind of like a lot of churches today. They were getting away from the Bible. It was all about tradition and money. And, you know, they, and they were sacrificing the Bible for their own benefits. Even Some of the priests didn't know the Bible anyway, some of them. So, and then they brought him to a, a catacombs where the Christians died. And they're like, if you go touch the head of each skeleton on top of his head, you know, you release yourself, you still go to purgatory, but you cut your, you cut your time short in purgatory. If you kiss each wall, kiss each head, you know, and, and you, 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 you go down each steps, crawl on each step and kiss each cross and where Jesus walked on, stuff like that. A bunch of nonsense, you, you know. And of course, he didn't know his Bible at that time. He knew something was wrong, but he just couldn't put his button on it, you know, at the time. So it just made it worse for him. I mean, he saw the Pope living like a king. I mean, he was like, you know, he had a fortress with guns on it and everything and cannons. And he was living like uh, better than what a prince almost was living, or equal to a prince. And he saw a lot of these things. He really got him discouraged. He's like, this is not what the church of God should be. This is not what the church should be. And so he got him real discouraged. So he went back to the monastery and he, he, matter of fact, he cleaned the whole, he got so discouraged, he cleaned the whole floor for the size of the church and more by himself. He was like on his feet, on his knees, you know, cleaning the floors. And <laughs> they kind of noticed how clean he was getting, uh, the monks. He, I mean, he, he was distressed. He's like, I better work more for my salvation because, you know, he's already in trouble. And so one of the monks, they, got, they all got together and said, okay, time for plan B. So they got together, one of the monks got together with him and says, hey, listen, we're going to make you do a Bible study. We're going to get you out of the monastery. Number one, it gets him out of our hair. And two, it won't focus on him. You know, he'll take his, he'll get his focus off his problems. If he goes to Bible study, he might, you know, focus on others and get his, him out of the way, you know, his problems out of the way. So that was plan B. So they said, you're going to go to this university and you're going to do a Bible study. And all those monks were glad about that. Oh, I hope this works. They, 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 they were kind of getting aggravated with him. But anyway, so they sent him up there. So by the, pro, the divine providence of God was working. They were trying to get him out of the hair, and they were, they were trying to help him out. 
And they thought, well, if he went to Bible study and knew the Bible, it would strengthen him in his Catholic faith and, you know, kind of find out it backfired. Because the more he studied the Bible, he was starting to teach Bible study, but the more he reasoned, the more he digged and wrote notes, and the more he went through the Bible, he read the, uh, the Latin version, but he also read the Greek and uh, Jewish texts of Bible. So he's reading all kind of different Bible texts and stuff like that, like the one Erasmus wrote, a Catholic scholar wrote a Greek manuscript, so he was reading that. And because uh, the Greek manuscript had more detail and more information in it than the Latin Bible did. So he was learning, he was reading the Bible a lot. Then he came to Romans chapter, chapter 1, verses 17, for the just should live by faith. And it stuck. He, that was one of the scriptures that stuck to him. And he couldn't get away from it. And he realized that it was not the church. It was not, not going to mass every Sunday or going through penance or doing you know, Catholic rituals that will save me is when I put my faith in Christ and what he did for me at the cross and he restores his righteousness to me. He gives me his righteousness. I am saved when I put my faith in, you know, I don't have to do penance. I don't have to whip myself or go sleep out in the snow and kill myself half to death to earn my salvation. I just put my faith in Christ and what he did at the work, you know, on the cross. So he had that revelation and and I believe he got saved. There's some, he said that it felt like I was born again. I think he was. And he was born again, I believe, at that point. He didn't know everything about the Bible. He was still learning. Because if you read his 95 theses, matter of fact, the first time I really read it was yesterday. I was looking on my phone. I said, you know, I heard a little bit about it, but I never really went through it. So I went through it. Some things... You, you could tell he got his doctrine right on some things, and there were some areas where you could still tell he was still learning from when he did his 95 Theses. So some things I agree with, some things you could tell he was still in his earliest stages, but, but he was still learning, and, you know, people were learning the Bible from him and stuff like that. But at the same time when Martin, this was going on, so happens the right time, the right place in God's divine providence, at the same time he was studying his faith at the same time he's reading through scriptures and digging through scripture at the same time there was a new pope that came to power and he was leo the 10th he came into power and what happened was he was a big spinner kind of like a politician right now you know you know you know they're blowing money like like it's going out of style well he was a man of the flesh or the pope of the flesh they call him he was like a big money spinner he blew the vatican's money like like it was no tomorrow he he had parties. He was in uh, boar hunts. I mean, he spent money on a lot of Vatican projects. And he was just spending money like there was no tomorrow, kind of. I mean, he, he was like, he was spending it. He was actually lord of treasury a lot. And they were doing Vatican projects. One of the Vatican projects was, of course, there was Michelangelo at the time. They were, uh, they were painting some paintings for the Vatican. So there was a lot of projects that was going on so a lot of money was getting low but one of the big projects was uh, St. Peter's Cathedral matter of fact you can go google it on the, online and you can look at St. Peter uh, it's still there the, the dome of St. Peter uh, whatever they call it it's, it's still there so but they, were, they needed money to build this dome because they were running out of funds because the other one was spending money and he was emptying the treasury so they needed money to replace the treasury 
So they said, wow, what can we do to replace the money that we spent on these projects and, uh, and of course, on us, what we did. We spent it on a luxurious lifestyle. So how can we get the money back into our coffers? So one of them came up with a good idea and said, let's do a thing called special indulgences. It's, you know, it's uh, just a paper that if you buy it, it rids you of all your sins. You don't even have to confess to even to a priest. You know, all your sins were taken care of. It's almost like one save, always save type doctrine a little bit. You know, you can, you can do whatever you want and you still had salvation, you know, for a good price. So they sent it out to Germany. It's kind of like, you know, how you go to the store, you know, how you, you have certain items. They cost 30 bucks. Then they come out with a sign. Hey, it went down to 19 bucks, special sale. You know, <laughs> that's what they were kind of doing. But on salvation, it's like, it's a special deal. You know, if you take this, you know, you go straight to heaven if you die. You know, of course, adding on to the, to the cross of Christ. They're making the Christ, like, like Apostle Paul said to the Jews, he said, if the law could save us, then Christ died in vain, if the law can save us. So that's what they were doing. They were using other salvations. And what's the point, what's the point of Christ going to the cross if an indulgence can forgive you of your sins? Does that make any sense? Why Martin Luther and people got upset with that? I mean, you're saying what Christ did was for nothing, you know? So, but that's what they did. They say, we're going to make money on salvation. That's what they were doing. And, and they told, they promised the people, Tetzel and some other people went out there, said, if you buy this indulgence, it's a good price and a good heavenly deal. I guess you can say it. Matter of fact, they said that when you put the, uh, when the, when you put the money in the coffer, the soul from purgatory springs for you and for your loved ones, you know. So they did it where it was salvation. They were selling salvation, kind of like a lot of people do today. And so what happened was this went around, and then Martin Luther, he went to the town. He noticed one of the guys that go to his church was drunk, and he bought an indulgence. And he's like, oh, I see you drinking it up tonight, huh? And he was drunk. He said, yep, I'm drinking it up, yep, yep. He was all drunk, you know, and he says, oh, he said, you better come to confession because he was still learning. Martin Luther was still learning at that time. He didn't know confession was wrong at that time to a priest. He says, uh, you got to you got to come confess to me uh, in the morning. You better come. He said, I don't have to go to confession no more. He said he was drunk. He's kind of like oldest on Andy Griffin, you know, he said, I don't have to go to confession. He said, all my sins are taken care of. He says, oh, really? Since when? He says, he showed him his paper. He says, the Pope? The Pope says I can do whatever I want now. My sins are taken care of now. And that kind of got Martin Luther upset. Reading the Bible, he knew that, oh, wow, they're, they're adding on to the cross. They're adding on to the salvation process of Christ, you know. And so he got mad, and that's when the 95 Theses came out. He wrote, theologically we can speak, he wrote about why he he felt indulgences were wrong and, and stuff like that. And he nailed it to the church door of the castle. Now, what he was doing back then, it was normal in a way speaking. Because back then, they would actually post. Anybody could have done it. They would post things on church doors. You know, kind of like you know, how we did with some of the posters here or whatever. Well, that's what they did back then. They would post things on church doors. And it was like events, like they'll tell you, hey, tomorrow they're having a cook-off or, or even theology, you know, Bible reasons. They will put some theology stuff on there. So it was nothing like, it was nothing new. Martin Luther was just doing something they always did in the Catholic Church. So he just went post his 95 Theses. 
Now, this is divine providence of God. He had no intentions for it to be out with the public. He wrote it in Latin, and most people didn't know Latin at that time. Only the Catholic Church and the royalty, the ones who really had money, who could pay for good schooling, knew Latin. But the common folks didn't know, they didn't know Latin. You know, some of them couldn't even read. You know, it was the Dark Ages. Some could barely even read their own language, probably. So he had it, he had it where there was, it, was, it was a scholarly discussion. He was like, well, I just want to get with people in the church and just discuss it. He had no attentions to let it out in the public, but somehow God did that. They, there's two versions of the story. One is, is that some of his students that went to his class saw his paper and they brought it to the printer. Or the other story is there was a, a guy who was looking for more print materials and he saw Luther's writing and he brought it to the printer. So it's something like that. But anyway, God designed it that way because when they printed it, it went throughout all Europe. And it was in their language, in their German language. So it was going out and it was selling like hotcakes. It caught even Martin Luther's surprise. That was not the direction he wanted, but God's divine providence, God did it like that, you know. And then what was awesome, you see, there were other reformers, like, for example, John Huss and uh, John Wycliffe. They were reformers, but they didn't have the technology that Martin Luther had. See, at the day when they wrote, or scholarly, scholar people would write Bibles and books, it would take them months and weeks to write a Bible or a book. But with the new printing press that came out of Martin Luther's day, it made it where information was quicker and faster. So in other words, they printed so much that the church or the kings at the time that the Pope controlled, they couldn't put a lid on it. In other words, it was so vast the technology was so great that they couldn't even keep up with it. They could burn a few books and Bibles here and there, but they couldn't really stop it like they used to because the way they designed the printing press or the, the way they designed it, they published books like quick. It's kind of like today with the Internet, you know. You know, y'all can remember the days when they didn't have Internet, and then you look at the Internet now, you're like, oh, wow, the world got smaller, <laughs> you know. That's what kind of happened in their day, and the technology just went where they couldn't control it. So God used technology to spread out the Reformation, and the Catholic Church couldn't stop it. It was so big. It was bigger than them. You know, the information travels so quick that they couldn't stop it. So God used technology for the Reformation. So that's one of the things I think why Martin Luther is more recognized for the Reformation than the other ones is because the technology was there at that time for him to get more popular than these other guys did. He had the means, I guess we can say, or the technology that was there. So that's why technology is not too bad. You know, use it for the glory of God if you can. You know, post things on Facebook if you can, the gospel or something, because the Reformation, that's what actually brought the Reformation big like it is. and still affecting us today because of this printing press that God told this man to do, and it actually made the gospel go quicker, faster, and it really, it actually brought the Catholic Church down a lot because of the printing press. So, so technology is not all that bad sometimes as you think. God, it can be used for God's glory if you do it the right way. But anyway, so it helped, and it spread throughout Germany and Europe. And the, Catholic, the Pope at first didn't take much notice of it. He's, always, he's a drunk German that ruled that. He didn't really, he didn't take it, the, him and the movement too seriously at the time. But then when it started, the paper started going out and 
this movement started growing, Protestantism started growing, and the protest was getting bigger and louder, and it was growing. They're like, okay, we got to bring Martin Luther in now. We got to deal with him. So they tried their best. They, they tried to, uh, at first, they were going to bring him to Rome for trial, but that, they were just going to kill him right off. That was not going to be no trial. That was not a fair trial anyway. That's a kangaroo court anyway. So, so what happened was one of his guys, see, at the time, Germany was broke up into different provenance. It was part of the Holy Roman Empire that was actually designed to fight the Muslims. You know, the, Catholic, uh, the Catholics in Germany at that time made the super empire state to fight against the, uh, the uh, Muslims at that time. So that's why the Roman Empire, they believe, was set up for. But there was different provenance in, the Ro in that Holy Roman Empire. And one of them was called, uh, there was princes that would rule over each provenance, you know. And one of them was called Frederick the Wise. He was actually one of Martin Luther's uh, princes. And he told the guys, the Inquisition, the guys who came from the Inquisition, they said, no, he's a German. You know, we feel that because he's German, he should be tried on German soil. And just like he pledges loyalty to me, I pledge loyalty to him as, you know, being protective-wise. So they said, they convinced the, they convinced the emperor of the Holy Roman Empire, they said, look, let's put a trial for Martin Luther. He is German. You know, he, he's, he's part of the fatherland. We need to, he's a citizen. We need to treat him like a citizen and give him a fair trial, not send him to Rome in the Inquisition where he's going to be killed without a fair trial. So they did that. So they got him at uh, the, uh, the deity or the diet of worms. So they, I guess the worm was on a diet. I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> anyway but there... They, 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 they vest, they, they, the emperor was there and all the princes were there and they were like, they started questioning them. they like, the Inquisition was there and they were like, hey, uh, are these books of yours? And, and he says, yes, they're mine and stuff like that. And they asked him, will you recount of what you did? And he says, well, my conscience, I can't. He said, unless you've proven me through scripture and a lot of scripture and proven me through scripture that what I did was wrong, said, I, I throw my books myself into the fire if you can prove by scripture if it's all wrong what I did, biblically speaking. Of course, they couldn't because they made up things as they went. They're kind of like a lot of people today. They make up a lie as they went. So they knew that they couldn't defend him on that area. And he told him, he says, my conscience is kept to the word of God. And he says, to go against conscience is wrong to go against your own conscience. So he made it clear. He says, I'm not going to go against the Bible. And so... They, so they were impressed. I mean, you could hear a pin drop to there. I mean, it was an individual who took something bigger than himself. I mean, he took on a whole load of himself that was big. And so what happened was nobody could come to agreement. God was working behind the scenes. You know, none of them could come to, none of the princes could come to a full agreement of what to do with him. Because some agreed with him, some didn't. So there was a lot of... And another thing that helped the Reformation that most people overlooked, that God actually, he used the printing press to help the Reformation, but he also used these princes. Because you see, the king of the Holy Roman Empire, or the, or the king, yeah, the king at that time, he needed German princes because he didn't know the German language. He didn't know nothing about Germany. So he needed these princes, you know, because he had other wars he was fighting. He was fighting the Turks. He was fighting the French. He was fighting. He had a lot of, a lot of things going on. So he didn't want to upset these princes because if he knew he upset them, he would have lost his kingdom. That's how powerful 
these princes were in this kingdom. So a majority of them supported Martin Luther. So he was like, man, if I killed, or if I killed this dude, I'm going to upset all my princes. I'm going to upset these people, and I'm in trouble. So God worked it in a way for Martin Luther where in the Reformation, where God used these princes to where the king couldn't really destroy them like he wanted, even the Catholic Church, because of these princes. You know, and some of these princes want to break away from the church anyway. So they were using Martin Luther to say, hey, religiously and politically, we're going to keep Martin Luther alive to keep the fight on. So a lot of them wanted to keep him alive. So what happened was the Catholic Church did a bull. It's full of bull. <laughs> Paper bull, they call it. I heard one preacher say that. He said, yeah, he said it was full of bull. But, then, <laughs> but what happened was they made the Pope says he's a heretic. So they wrote a letter. And pretty much what that meant was anybody could hunt him. In other words, secular authorities or religious authorities could kill him. So he was an outlaw, kind of speaking. He was up for game, you can, you know, you can say. He was, and what happened was that also meant that he was cut away from the church. So that meant like back then if you weren't part of the church, you went straight to hell in their thinking. So the Pope was like, well, he's going to hell on top of that because I throw him away from the church. So excommunicated him. That's right. So he was an outlaw, and he was, a, he was going to hell, according to their, th their thinking. So anyway, what happened was he was going back to, Ger to that part of Germany where he was. He got kidnapped, but he got kidnapped by Frederick, one of the princes that liked him. He, they kidnapped him, and they brought him to a castle for protection because, remember, he could have been killed. He could've, anybody could have arrest him so he they, they they protected him and they brought him to a castle and there god put on his heart to write the german bible the greek manuscript into german language he took a, a greek manuscript and he said i'm gonna write german and or where people can understand it so what happened was to kind of i'm not trying to take y'all too long but y'all need a little background what was the difference between the latin bible and the greek Greek, the Greek Bible. What happened was when the Muslims were taking over uh, the, uh, the Ottoman Empire, these Greek scholars were like, hey, we got to get away from Islam. You know, we got to get away. So they brought their Greek manuscripts with them to Europe. And like I said, these Greek manuscripts, they went into more detail into the Bible. They didn't take away nothing. They, they had more information in these Greek texts, you know, and they had more information, more detail, and they were more powerful. They had more of a story to them. So that's what he used. He used the Greek manuscripts. So when you're using a King James Bible, what you're using is a Greek manuscript yeah. or a Hebrew manuscript. You're not using a Latin Bible manuscript. So that's, that's a big difference. So he was using the Greek manuscripts that they got from the Middle East, from that part of the world, and they came to Europe. So he's used that. So as time went on, he was there, and the story goes that he was still an outlaw. He even got married to, he even got married. He didn't want to at first, but he ended up getting married to a nun. And anyway, he was an outlaw. He even tried to convince the nun that wanted to marry him. I think her name was Catherine. Yeah, Catherine. He's like, did you know he was trying to, he was trying to, uh, Discourage. I said, you know, I'm an outlaw. You know, I mean, tomorrow they can, you can be married. You can be married today and be a widow tomorrow. You know, they can come arrest me. The Inquisition or secular authorities can come. But anyway, they got married, 
And the story goes that he was in hiding. But God was still working. See, the princes got together, and the princes, the more time went on, they were more influenced by Martin Luther's writings. The more, and, and they were like, man, the church, we need separation of church and state. We need, you know, we need to be, we need to do our own authority and let the church take care of its own authority. They shouldn't interfere with us and what we're doing. So as the time go, uh, goes on, they got to get out of meeting, and the king was like, or the prince at the time of the Roman Empire was like, you know, discard your beliefs and let's just work together as one banner. And, and you know, because we got to fight enemies, you know, or whatever. And they're like, well, our conscience, like Martin Luther, they said our conscience is captive to the word of God. And they refused. So they stood their ground. So the king was like, well, I got to do what they say because if I go against these men, if I kill them or if I go against them, I'm in trouble because I don't know the German language. I'm just, I don't know much of these people, you know. And he said, if I destroy these German princes, you know, I'm in trouble one way or another. So he said he couldn't kill them. So God put it in a certain, in divine providence, God fixed it where he couldn't harm these German princes. Because of that, they loved Martin Luther and his writings, and that's what helped Martin Luther out. So somehow God worked behind the scenes, and the story goes the Reformation took all over Europe, and that pretty much ended pretty much the Dark Ages, because the Bible was starting to be open to people, and, and the Renaissance at that time was starting uh, was starting to go out there, you know, Greek language and Greek art and things were starting to go out there. So the Bible had a big part in that. So he changed, God used this man and the other people before him in some ways to get rid of the dark ages, you know, to make light into, into Europe and stuff like that. Because, and then even in America, it affected us even in America. Because did you know, well, yeah, but why? Did you know a majority of our founding fathers that started this country, most of them were Protestant? You don't hear that too much, but majority were Protestant. There was a few people here and there from other organizations, but a lot of them were Protestant mostly. And then when the pilgrims came here to America, they bought Martin Luther's principles with them. So America, as we know it, the Constitution and everything we enjoy today for our country came because what Martin Luther did. So he not just affected Europe, he also affected America. So it's amazing how, and at that time, you know, isn't that amazing thing? When Martin Luther was studying the Bible or when he was about to get into the monastery, that's when Columbus discovered the American route. So it's amazing how God was working everything out for, to bring the gospel to the new world years later. So 